You may be seated this morning. Thank you, Dave and Rachel and all the rest, and for Jenny. What a beautiful, sweet spirit here this morning. As we rest in the presence of Jesus, I did want to just give you a little bit of an update for Brian, for those of you who are uh, part of the, Brian was kind of part of the auditorium family. And we don't have, the details won't be finalized till this afternoon, but we think the funeral will be on Tuesday and uh, uh, at the chapel. But I want you to check uh, online at the Garden Funeral Chapel either this evening or tomorrow morning just to get the, the, the correct details about that. So our prayers are with the family at this time and, and all of those who are very close. Uh, there was a story that was relayed to me on Monday, <clears throat> excuse me, that really touched my heart as, as several of our praise, our prayer intercessors went to spend some time with Brian. And uh, Bristol told him, said, Brian, whether we're walking with you to healing or whether we're walking with you to glory, we want you to know we're walking with you. And <clears throat> I don't know if I got those words exactly right, Bristol, but uh, what a beautiful thing it is as the family of God to be able to walk with one another through the trials, the tribulations of life, the deep stuff that we don't know I have the answers for, but also to the glorious victory that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And I've been thinking just uh, last night and this morning about the complete freedom that Brian enjoys from all pain and everything that the enemy has thrown at him for the last several years, it's gone, it's over, and he's victorious in Jesus Christ. So we rejoice in that today. Our text is going to come from Acts, the 16th chapter today. Excuse me for just a moment. <clears throat> we're, we're talking about the church in action all through the book of Acts. We've been studying Acts for the entire year, if you're a guest with us. And uh, we're about halfway through. And how exciting it is, it is to, uh, uh, to study as a church what the church looked like in its early days when the Holy Spirit was leading and guiding them and the fact that he wants to do the same for us today. He wants to lead us uh, into conquest and lead us into victory and lead us into bringing the love of Jesus Christ to everyone that we come in contact with. I came across a little poem some time back that goes like this. <clears throat> Must be the second service. I don't have much voice left. Excuse me. A lion met a tiger as they drank beside the pool. Said the tiger to the lion, why you always roar like such a fool? That's not foolish, said the tiger with a twinkle in his eyes. They call me king of all the beasts because I advertise. A rabbit heard them talking and ran home like a streak. He thought he'd try the lion's plan, but his roar was just a squeak. A fox who heard the rabbit had luncheon in the woods. And so you see, my friends, before you advertise, make sure you got the goods. <laughs> well, the book of Acts is about people that had the goods. They didn't just talk about the resurrection. They demonstrated it. And in, in every way, just as we did this week in walking with people through the valley of the shadow of death, we can demonstrate the power of the resurrection. And what a message that we have. <clears throat> Two weeks ago... We celebrated the risen Savior, and I would say, <clears throat> excuse me, about 4,000 people uh, more or less came through uh, the doors of this church. 
celebrating the risen Savior. And my question is this, and this is not a condemnation, it's just a serious question. Is it walk or is it talk? The resurrection of Jesus Christ, are we talking about it or are we demonstrating it? And I, have, I happen to believe that if 4,000 people are convinced that Jesus is alive like we just sang about, it can make a difference in Pella, Iowa, don't you? How about the whole state of Iowa? How about uh, the entire world? And that's what was happening in the book of Acts. You want to mute me for just a little bit back there. Thank you. That might be good. And when it's done, I'll quit preaching. <clears throat> Thank you. Stephanie is always prepared. Sixteen, verse thirty. We're going to start reading with uh, chapter sixteen, verse sixteen through thirty. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? May God add his blessing to the reading of the word this morning. Today we're going to talk about our, uh, this prison experience in four frames. We're going to talk about, uh, about midnight the prison, about midnight the hymn sing, about midnight the earthquake, and midnight the breakfast. This was an eventful night in the life of the early church, and I want to talk first of all of how we got, how Paul and Silas got into prison. Acts 16 is actually a story about several women, three women to be exact. The first one was Timothy's mother who instructed him in the ways of the Lord. The second one was Lydia who was the first, first convert in Philippi. And then about uh, the de demon-possessed girl who was bringing great uh, money uh, to her owners, telling the future with a spirit, a territorial spirit of Python that was over that environment in that city. To give you a little bit of background about... <clears throat> 
about uh, Philippi, it was one of the colony cities of the Roman Empire. And these colonies were set up to be like little Rome's. And they carried the culture, they carried everything about Rome, and they were, this was a very wealthy community because it was on a uh, main trade route by the Aegean Sea, and there was much commerce, very good farmland, it was a wealthy place. And Paul and Silas came to this place as the first uh, place to spread the gospel in Europe. If you remember last week, uh, Paul was in Asia Minor. And he wanted to go into Bithynia, and the Holy Spirit said no. He wanted to go further up into Asia, the Holy Spirit said no. And then he received a vision in the middle of the night, a man from Macedonia telling him, would you come over into Macedonia and help us? So God was planning to execute the commission of Acts 1 verse 8 when he said, you will be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and where? The uttermost parts of the earth. We were to that stage in the Great Commission where we're going from Asia, from Syria, from uh, Samaria, and all these places into the uttermost parts of the earth. And when the enemy, or when God began to make an advance by the Spirit into Europe, the enemy was going to put up a fight. So you see, this wasn't just a story about a single demon-possessed girl. This was a story about a conflict, an epic conflict between the forces of darkness and the forces of the Holy Spirit. The forces of darkness were not going to roll over and play dead when the church was on the advance. And it all came to bear with a python spirit uh, that was tied to Greek mythology that settled on this girl, and Paul recognized it, and he took authority over it. And in Pastor Kevin's notes, it was, we were talking on Monday night, he said, whenever the Acts 1-8 commission is challenged by spiritual darkness, we have not only the right, the right and authority, but we have the responsibility to confront that spirit and to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't talk a lot about spiritual warfare in this day and age. We hear a lot about it in the third world countries. But I believe that this was a very uh, timely encounter between the forces of darkness and the forces of the Holy Spirit. And it's my opinion, <laughs> and I, I think that I can, I can bear it out with the facts that are going on around us, that as we get more and more into a culture that is uh, post-Christendom, and by the way, Pastor Kevin is going to preach a whole series on that starting in the fall when, about Christians in exile. The further we get from our Christian roots and from the restraint that comes with that, I think the more influence of the enemy we're going to see in our culture. Uh, as the restraints are taken away and we live in an everything-goes society, those choices have consequences, and we open our hearts and our spirits to, uh, to things that we never saw before in this part of the world. And I seriously believe we're going to see more of that. I'm going to tell you a little story that happened to me years ago that kind of bear this out. Um, I had gotten a call from, this was before the World Wide Web was very popular and very prevalent or, or accessible, but I got a call from a couple that had a, a preteen daughter that was heavily oppressed uh, by, by spiritual darkness. I don't believe she was demon-possessed, but she had, there was just a, very, a lot of stuff going on that she had been to counselors for two or three years with no success, and it was getting worse and worse and worse, and by nature, I'm not the kind of guy that takes these things on. I like to preach my three points in a poem and say, have a good week, folks. But I realized at that time that this thing was getting serious, that there was some spiritual conflict that needed to be dealt with. And I talked to one of the elders and I said, hey, would you go with me? 
to, to cleanse this house. We'll start with that, and then we'll have prayer uh, uh, with the girl after that, following that. And he said, yeah, we'll do that. So we headed out to the country. They had a long lane, about a quarter mile long, and, and I, I just assumed that, uh, that the, the couple owned all this property. We started, I said, let's park the cars here at the highway, and we're going to walk up the lane and pray as we go. So we started up the lane. We got about halfway up, an eighth of a mile, and all of a sudden, this elder and I looked at each other and said, what's this? There was a, a turbulence. That's the only way I can describe it, a wall of turbulence that suddenly presented itself, and we didn't understand what it was. We knew nothing about uh, what it meant because we, were thought, we thought we were on the property uh, already when we started walking. We'll come to find out later, and I forgot to mention this in the first service, I've asked later where their property line was, and it was right on that spot on the driveway <laughs> that we had encountered the turbulence. They just had an easement up to that point, and then their property line started, and that was the exact spot where we felt this, this interference. So we kept on walking. We walked into the house, and it was a very dark uh, and, and oppressive spirit that we felt there. And we walked for about two hours. We walked throughout the house, the upstairs, downstairs, and uh, pleading the blood of Jesus Christ over each room, uh, anointing the doorposts with oil. And we did everything we knew how to do to cleanse this place. And there were three spots in that house that every time I went past them, it just, it just hit me right here. There was that, the, the intensity of the turbulence picked up exponentially. I couldn't understand it. There was a, a drum trap set. Whenever I walked by, it just stopped me in my tracks and I would stop and pray. Uh, I'd go a little further and there was a picture on the wall that was from, looked like about 70 years old, an old, old picture. And then there was a, a, uh, a doorway that I didn't know where it went, but every time I went past this doorway, it just stopped me and I had to pray uh, the power of God and, and, and I didn't understand it. So we went ahead with our prayer. We prayed over the girl's room and we talked to the parents. Before we left, I said, I don't know what's going on, but Here's what, we, here's what we sensed. Here's what we felt. I said, when we were going up the driveway, I told him about that. And then I told him about the trap set, and I told him about the picture on the wall, and then the doorway. And it got really quiet. And I thought, hmm, I guess he's not going to tell me anything. <laughs> and they kind of dismissed us in a hurry after that. And it was kind of awkward. So we went home, and that night, about 8 o'clock, I got a phone call from the dad. He said, can we come out and talk? I said, yeah, that'd be fine. He said, we need to talk about some stuff. So they came out and he said, first of all, he told me where the property line was. And so that made sense, which kind of gave validation of, whatever the, validation of everything else that was going on. And then he said, well, the trap set was connected to a young man who died and there's been an obsession with death. Uh, because of that, there was a doll there that I didn't even see that had been a gift from this person. And then he said the picture, and I won't go into detail with this, but it was a generational thing that there was, had been an obsession with death uh, from generations back. Uh, and so then I, 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 he got real quiet. And he didn't want to go any further. And I said, and about the door? And I remind you that this was before the World Wide Web. He said, well, I knew the preacher was coming, so that's where I threw all my magazines and I shut the door. And you know, in the book of Acts, two chapters later, they had a book-burning party at Ephesus because of the occult 
and the things that were going on. We had a magazine burning party that night, <laughs> and God brought a tremendous victory. I don't say that to scare us all. I say that to say that spiritual warfare is real, and when we open our hearts through our lack, lackadaisical living and through our uh, anything-goes lifestyles, it is going to open our homes and our hearts to stuff that we're going to have to deal with. And I'll talk a little bit more later about some ways that we can do that. I just want us to understand that we're in a battle and to take it seriously, uh, but to also know that there's a great big God and that the Holy Spirit has been there before us and will go there behind us. So this is what landed them in prison. All that to say that when you attack the powers of darkness and when you mess with their money, you're going to end up in jail. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened here. They ended up in jail. They were in stocks, which I picture it like this. They had their feet in a yoke, uh, a, hole, a hole in each side, and that was chained to the foundation and their, their arms were uh, also in chains that were chained to the foundation. Their backs were raw from being beaten with rods. Probably, it was in the inner dungeon. So if you can picture them here, they can't move in an inner dungeon where there's probably varmints and smells and flies and everything else. And so you can imagine what was going through their mind and what they were feeling at that time. So my mind goes to this. What would I have done if I had been there? What kind of prisons do I live in? Where do I live sometimes where the enemy gets a foothold? And I thought of four prisons where I live, and I think they kind of ident could identify with Paul and Silas as well. The first one is self-doubt. I can just hear Saul, uh, Silas saying to Paul, are you sure you heard right in that vision that we were supposed to come here? <laughs> Wasn't there a better plan? Are you sure that was God talking to you? Or if it wasn't self-doubt, maybe self-absorption. I think a lot of us live in that prison where everything is about us. Lord, we were doing your work. We just cast out a demon for Pete's sake. So why are we here? We could be of use for you out in the kingdom, but you've got us in this prison where we can't even move. Or maybe take it a step further. I don't know if this was the case for them, but it is for us. Self-destruction, when we begin to give in to those self-absorption and self-doubts, and pretty soon we are taking on habits and things that are actually destroying us and our families, and it gives the enemy a foothold. I think all of these things could have been for Paul and Silas. I think they're very real prisons that we live in today, but I like how Paul and Silas responded Instead of saying, oh, poor me, this is not fair. Look what I've done for you, God. This is not fair. Instead, Silas punches Paul. He says, hey, remember that psalm? Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. For he is good. He is above all things. His love endures forever. Give praise, give praise. Haven't sung that in a while, have we? I'm digging them out of the old, uh, the old hymn books. Or, or maybe even further back from that. Hey, Paul. Great is thy faithfulness. I know it hadn't been written yet. Oh God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. 
Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Or maybe, how great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. You know, when we start to turning our prison into praise at midnight, it changes things. It, pra- it changes things for the forever. <laughs> praise at midnight. I want to talk about praise at midnight. It confounds the enemy. You want to you mess up Satan real good in his kingdom? Start praising God at midnight when he's thrown everything he's got at you and you come out singing. Or when, he, when a disease strikes and takes someone from us that we love and we're still singing. I've told the story in the auditorium before, I know, but it just fits here. My, one of my very first memories of my dad was in 1964 when my mom passed away from cancer and, and we were making the trip, us nine kids along with my dad from Evergreen Cemetery in Lytton back to the church at Oskaloosa. My dad wasn't much of a singer, but he started singing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Pretty soon a few voices came in, praise him all creatures here below. Do you know that? Let's sing it together. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. That messes up the enemy big time. When you're on their way home from the cemetery and you're singing praises to God at midnight, it confounds the enemy. Praise at midnight brings healing to a troubled spirit. Remember the story of, uh, of uh, David and Saul? King Saul would have a troubling spirit that would settle in on him. David would get out the harp and start playing, and it brought healing to King Saul. Praise at midnight brings freedom. Let me back up just a little bit about confounding the enemy. I forgot the story about Jehoshaphat. You, know, you, you all know that story, don't you, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, when they were going into battle, and Jehoshaphat said, let's, let's line up the singers to go into battle first. And it says, they went into the battle singing praises to God, and it confused and confounded the enemy so bad they turned on one another and, and wiped themselves out, and the Israelites didn't even have to lift a finger because they learned to praise at midnight. On this particular midnight, when they had their hymns sing, it brought freedom because there was a great earthquake. So we're going to talk about the earthquake a little bit. It said, suddenly the prison was shaken so violently that the foundations let loose and all of the chains that were anchored to the foundation, everyone in the prison was set free. After our first service, Bruce Coyle came up to me and said, I just thought of something I'd never thought of before in that passage. I said, what's that? He said, Paul and Silas weren't the only ones that were set free. <laughs> uh, that's good. That's good. When we begin to praise at midnight and God sends the earthquake, it's going to liberate a whole lot of people, not just you. And so let's begin to learn to praise at midnight. Suddenly from heaven, when God takes action, do a little study on that sometime. Just look up a concordance suddenly from heaven. There's some pretty awesome things that happen in the Bible 
suddenly from heaven. My favorite one is Acts 2 verse 4. All the disciples were sitting in the upper room in one accord, and it says, suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the place where they were sitting. They began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Joel said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your young men shall dream dreams, and your old men shall see visions, and on my servants and on my handmaidens in those days, I will pour out my spirit. We're living in a new day when the suddenly from heaven is a good thing. I want to read one scripture from Hebrews chapter 12, talking about earthquakes, when God shakes the earth. And this is one I'm going to try to memorize this week. There's just three verses there. Uh, and I think it'll revolutionize the way I view life. Hebrews 12, starting with verse 26. At that time, his voice shook the earth, talking about Mount Sinai when the law was given. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken will remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. If you don't learn all those other verses, at least learn that last one. Our God is a consuming fire. When God starts shaking things up, the Bible says in 2 Peter, there's going to be nothing left. Absolutely nothing. He said even the elements themselves will melt in the fervent heat. That's what Peter said in the last days. The only thing that's going to remain after that shakedown is the kingdom of God. All your stocks, all your investments, all your land... Everything you've accumulated will be gone. But the kingdom of God remains. The kingdom of God remains. So this earthquake brought about quite a response. In verse 30, I believe when God shakes things up, there's going to be people that are going to come and run into us and say, what must I do to be saved? You know, we try so hard to evangelize. We have evangelism explosion programs. Uh, we go through all, we try to be seeker sensitive so that people will be attracted to our church. I got a sneaking suspicion that if God started shaking this place, <laughs> that people would be running one of two ways. <laughs> they'd be running that way. I ought to get out of here. Or they'd be coming, what must I do to be saved? So church, can we learn to praise at midnight to bring out the freedom and the power of God to where people are liberated by the testimony of Christ. And that's what happened here. We read about it in verse, um, starting with verse 31. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. About midnight, they had a breakfast, and I would love to have been there at that feast. He not only uh, bandaged all of their wounds, but he invited them into his home. The whole family gave their, uh, uh, came to faith in Christ. They were all baptized, and he set a meal before them, and it was a feast of joy at midnight because of what God had done. There was a group conversion. I believe that we'll see exponential growth. 
There was a group baptism. Our church is venturing into some new areas in that where I, I believe there's going to be some exciting things in the future as people follow the Lord in water baptism. And then there was great joy. And I'd like to ask Dave and the crew to come back up as I lead you in some action steps for this week. How we can bring God's kingdom into our prison, into our places of darkness, into our places of bondage. And the first one I want to tell you to do, ask you to do is this. I'm going to ask you to increase your praise repertoire because you're going to need it. If we're going to take on, if we're going to take on this, the powers of darkness, we better be able to praise God from the deepest part of our being. Um, you might be a hymn singer. You might be a praise chorus singer. I don't know if you like integrity or Bethel music, or I don't even know what all of them are out there. But whatever it is, learn some new stuff. Learn the old stuff. And let's, let's begin to sing praise to God so that it just becomes part of us, so that when we find ourselves in stocks, when we find ourselves persecuted for the gospel, which is going to happen one day, I don't know when, but what comes out is praises to our God, and that's going to liberate. I, I told, told the people in the first service that I had a funny experience two weeks ago on Easter Sunday. I was, I'd been down to be with Deb in the weekend in Kansas City, and and uh, needed to be here for the 915 service, so I was racing back from Kansas City to here. And about Indianola, I turned on the radio on KCWN, and the 8 o'clock service from 3rd was on. And, but I was just on the edge of, K, of KCWN coming in. So, <laughs> so first of all, I turned it on, and I heard uh, Michelle leading the choir in, Christ the Lord is risen today. And then it kind of faded out and some hip-hop station faded in. <laughs> and it was cracking me up. I was, uh, uh, had the choir singing, Michelle in the choir, and then hip-hop and a little bit of rap. And it'd come back in and go back out. And, and the thought struck me. I, I was inspired by Christ the Lord has risen today. I like choir music. I like the old hymns. But the Lord kind of checked my spirit. And, it, and I thought, there's probably 95% of the people that live in this area that probably will never hear that song. Christ the Lord is risen today. So how about if we get the hip-hop to start singing about the resurrection, which they are? What about if we get the rappers to start singing about the power of God and Christ? And they are. Can you imagine what can happen when in every culture, in every nation, in every tribe, in every color, sing praises to God and we're all singing one voice? Big things are going to happen because we're praising our God. So increase your praise repertoire. I said all that to say this. You're going to need it. And secondly, don't go it alone. Find a kingdom partner. Notice God's way all throughout the New Testament. He didn't send people out by themselves. He sent them two by two. Uh, the Holy Spirit called Paul and Barnabas, and the Holy Spirit called Paul and Silas. He said, you're going to need each other in this battle. Don't go it alone. Lone rangers are a sitting target for the enemy. So find somebody that has your back that you can believe together, that you can conquer territory together, that you can bring God's love together. Find a kingdom partner. And third, don't hide from the battle, but engage it. Not with flesh and blood, not with political reform, not with any of those things. The two things that are mess with the kingdom's darkness is praise and love. And if we can get those things right, we can engage every battle and every kingdom conflict that we come in contact with. And my last action step, it's not on the screen, but I want to encourage you to memorize those verses from Hebrews 12. We are part 
of an unshakable kingdom and an eternal kingdom. We're going to spend the next few minutes just in praise to God. And it's going to be a little of an extended time. Communion will be available. Uh, but I want you just to take this time to, to build up praise within you to recognize how big our God is.